Hey, hey, hello, everyone. Welcome to our After Sunday podcast. My name is Corey. I'm the worship pastor at North Langley Community Church, which apparently I say a lot. North Langley Community Church, not just NLCC, but and we have with us here Matthew Price, our lead pastor. Matthew, how are you doing? I'm good. I feel like when we refer to our church, we should just refer to it as North Langley. Yeah, but North Langley like is it. like a lo- it's like an actual area. Like North Langley could be Willoughby. It could be like it's it, it's more like on a map as opposed to a church. But that's- that's the point. It's like, this is the place we love. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, I love, I know, but I, it's like, I don't know. It feels like, I feel like if you're saying like North Langley, it could, it could just be like, well, is that a church? Is that like an area? Is that, are we talking Derby Reach? Are we talking like Willoughby? Are we saying like Walnut Grove? Are we, or are we talking, oh, North Langley True. Community Church. Yeah, except it saves you five, uh, what are those called? <laughs> Syllables. <laughs> okay, this is starting off. Oh, this was a bad idea. This whole thing. <laughs> Just joking. Okay, uh, back to back to the important stuff here. But yeah, let's let's call it North Langley or NLCC, I guess. Yeah. Uh, hey, Matthew, how was your um, how was your Mother's Day weekend? Yeah, it was it was fun. Yeah. I feel like for for all of us who are kind of here and experienced the weather we did, oh, that was great. It's amazing. Yeah, it beautiful. So. So nice, and my kids were really cute. They, Lucy made coffee. She's <laughs> learned how to make coffee now. Oh, that's she's awesome. she's seven, and she makes coffee. And so she ta- took some coffee up to Tanya while she was still in bed, and uh-huh. they made her breakfast um, in the morning. And uh, yeah, it's just really fun to watch them. Just like you know, write her little cards and stuff. We went to Crescent Beach and hung out at the beach there. And nice. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. They kids were totally grossed out at like dead crabs. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> had had so much fun with him there and Ella stepped on a little crab oh. <laughs> and like freaked out and anyway, but it was a fun day just being together um as a family. That's yeah, great. it was nice. How how about you guys? Yeah, yeah. We oh we loved the weather it was so good. We had I was telling you earlier we had on Friday, we, it wasn't really a Mother's Day, but it was it was kind of sort of starting the Mother's Day weekend, but we had a uh, I smoked brisket. It's a, a newish thing that I've been doing, which is like smoking meat and stuff and um so I love that. It's your southern heart. Yeah, so southern. I think so. I love it's just so. So we had smoked brisket and Boston baked beans, and had this uh, Connor Green who who lives with us. He had uh, he had baked some great bread. We had watermelon. Anyways, it was just a. It was we had some uh, we had people that have been living with us um, uh, with us, and so it was yeah it was a really great meal and uh, and then Sunday we yeah obviously we had church in the morning and then um, we had ordered this thing from uh, Haven Restaurant. They had this like French toast thing where you could show up and they have a French toast kit and then like uh, kind of really cool like mimosa drinks, whatever kind of things. You, Anyways, it's just a fun, um, a really fun uh, kind of meal. And then in the evening we got burgers and yeah, it's just kind of, it was a pretty chill day, but it was fun and we got to honor Sherry. And then I also, of course, um, sent my mom a little gift and uh, chat, actually only chatted with her on email because we couldn't get a hold of each other. She was with my brother and sister in, in Sherwood Park. So we never actually talked on the phone, uh-huh. but, but yeah, she knows how, how appreciated she is and yeah it's good oh that's cool yeah. yeah that's that's so nice it's it's so sad to be far away from moms these days like my mom was like uh yeah we, we just talked chatted about the international border may may not be open for a while and mm. i know it makes her sad and you know our kids would love to see to see her and yeah, it's just really yeah. We don't know when the U.S. border will open, but totally hopefully sometime soon. I know. Yeah, exactly. That is very sad. Um, hey, so as we dive in, um, just wanted to uh, just say this is a re- if 
if you are listening to this, this is a reflection of just, it's kind of like post thoughts from the sermon on Sunday. So it's Exodus chapter 16. Uh, we spent some time talking about um, uh, looking at the gift of manna in the wilderness, uh, in the desert. And so uh, if you haven't yet heard the sermon or haven't yet read the, the passage, um, my encouragement is to read it. So we're just going to kind of have some extra thoughts on on stuff that came out of the sermon. Mm-hmm. But it it's a it really is a unique story of uh, of after the Exodus, the people of Israel had seen so much, um, and yet they start to grumble. And they and and I think in some ways they they should have been concerned. I think they were rightful. It was it was a good thing that they were concerned that there there wasn't food. And so how would they feed? Um, how would they feed each other in the wilderness mm-hmm. um, when there is no food? And God seems to be leading them further and further away from places where you can grow food, right? They're going deeper into a desert. And right. so they were concerned, but it turned into grumbling. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, so we just spent some time chatting about grumbling on Sunday, but I know, Corey, you you have a bit of pushback. So we'll start off with that. Like what what were some of your thoughts post, post the sermon? Yeah, Matthew, it, it wasn't your strongest work. Just, <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding, everyone. Matthew and I are good friends. Uh, I know it's probably true. It's, uh, probably no, no, it was great. It was it was great actually. I, and it was not even so much pushback. I think, I think for me, um, like what I felt like, maybe the danger for me is that I feel like I've experienced, like I've experienced um, Christians, maybe in particular, uh, that have this 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 sort of this what feels like a weight of guilt on them because it's like I can't actually be honest, you know, and so and so when I'm going through things that are really mm. crappy, like that are actually really bad and that are legitimately unfair, and um, you know, I had a friend who who went through some really difficult things um, uh, with with a couple of different churches he was involved with, and and it wasn't it wasn't right, it was it was wrong, you know, and and uh, but I remember just you know talking to him, and and he just seemed like unable to be honest about the fact that this was really bad. Like this was not good. And what they did, and I, and for me, I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm like, no, no, let me explain. Like, not let me explain, but like what they did was, that was wrong. That was really bad. And what you went through, that's terrible. Like it's, it's terrible. That should not have happened. And, but I just felt like Mm -hmm. it's like, it, it's almost seemed like he was unable to actually just be honest about the fact that no, no, this was bad. This was bad, and I'm not happy about it, and I shouldn't be happy about it. Right. So I guess right. maybe my concern, or my, I sometimes worry that we have, you know, as Christians, I think sometimes we feel like we're supposed to be these sort of sterile, kind of perfect, shiny, you know, happy, smiling people that you know never get upset or never, um, you know, like never have, uh, you know, get angry about things. Or and I'm like, I don't think that's. And I, I know that you're probably not. That's not what you were getting at. But that maybe that's my concern: is that sometimes people might hear that and say, "Okay, right, right, right. I should never. I shouldn't have negative thoughts. I shouldn't think badly. I shouldn't complain. I should." And and yes, you shouldn't complain. So maybe maybe the thing is, what does complain? What is complaining as opposed to, you know, speaking honestly or lament? Let's say we have a there's a big tradition in the scriptures of lament, right? We see it in the Psalms and in Job and Lamentations. And so where does it cross the line? Maybe right, grumbling, complaining into honest, you know, honest saying, this is not like honest lament, let's say. Yeah, that's my, right. my thought. Yeah. Right. Yeah, no, and I was thinking of Jesus, like looking at religious leaders saying, you know, you're a brood of vipers. Yeah. Uh, you're right. whitewashed tombs, yeah. right? How long like am I going to put up with you people? Yeah, yeah, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And at, so he's he's being really honest there. And uh, I don't think Jesus is complaining, but he's pointing out truth. And like, these these leaders are actually doing something wrong, which I think your friend sounds like he had leaders in his life that did something wrong mm-hmm. um, to him. And, and I think you're right. Like I, and I'm grateful that you brought it up because that way I can kind of 
clear that up because I yeah I don't I I've never wanted to I I do find it hard I want to often like when I'm preaching like give what I feel like is the truth but I don't want it to come across as something that's not human like like you know wow okay so Matthew just basically is saying no grumbling ever no complaining and if you ever complain it's not you know godly or something like that Mm -hmm. it's like well but what if i file (laughs) loving the other person and but what if i do what if i am able to bring a complaint in truth to say listen this is not working right Mm -hmm. like you hurt me or like this is wrong this needs to be fixed like so i definitely would would hope that we as christians can do have those conversations and and be honest and real and and uh and be able to pour out our hearts to each other and, and kind of go, that was really difficult for me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, and I especially love it. Like when we do that, it is loving the other person too. Totally. Like even the person who wronged us, it's going like, you really hurt, hurt me there. And and I want to talk about it. And mm. yeah, I guess, I guess the, the complaining though can, I don't know. Don't you find it's attention though? It Cause totally like, is, yeah. let's say your friend, right? Like if your friend just, just just cannot let it go oh like it just it's just part of his thing and it's just like years later right it's just part of the same oh sorry i I don't want to like rush someone's healing yeah right um and then it also seems like who we talk to like we should have like a like trusted a trusted individual or a couple trusted people that we can be able to kind of process things with like we would a counselor right just to kind of go okay this is what i'm feeling and we can be honest yeah yeah no, you're totally right. You're right. Because, yeah, and I, again, any of us in the same breath can be like, and <laughs> I have the opposite, you know, experience as well with, you know, I remember I'm thinking of someone on, on Facebook who I just, after a while, I actually had to just be like, no one, you don't, no one here will know any of this, 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 no one will know this person. But I had to be like, I'm going to unfollow this person um, because it's just like every single post is ranting about something unfair and unjust and you know it's like man okay like enough is there and it's it's this constant negativity constant complaining constant grumbling so yeah you're right there's a tension right and it's like and maybe that's the seems like so many things there's there's a tension right like when when does it become unhealthy you know as opposed to yeah just speaking truthfully about what i'm experiencing or what i experienced um so anyways that was yeah and it's not like i said it's not even a pushback i think it's more like and obviously you've got like 30 minutes, you know, <laughs> you're like, so it's like, how do you cover all bases and make sure that every, so yeah, I, I, I think it was great. And I think maybe that's the, that was the one thing that stuck out for me. It's like, oh yeah. So how do we find that? Yeah. How do we find the healthy balance? Yeah, no. And, and see, and that's the thing. And I think that's a real growth area for me is like trying to, trying to say, and I think Corey, you're great. Um, I'm just so grateful I'm on a team with you because, well, thanks. um, yeah, for those listening to this, like Corey is great at like really kind of bringing out some of this stuff, like where I might preach a textbook answer to something, but kind of going, hey, let's talk about like where people really are at, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, I think I did that before. I think there was a sermon on anger that I did once, and I kind of gave maybe a textbook <laughs> sermon on anger, right? But it maybe missed kind of maybe where most people live. It's like, if there's a caricature of anger or even this last Sunday, a caricature of grumbling, Hmm. you know, it's like, well, we have that and maybe those people exist, but most of us live in a kind of a murky middle, Hmm. you know, and how does this really impact them? So no, I appreciate that. That's That's huge. Yeah. No, thanks. 
Hey, I want to just uh, briefly just uh, address a couple things um, that I didn't have time for in the sermon. So one was just on on Sabbath, and I'll make this fairly quick, but it's really cool the way God gives the people six days of manna, and then and then he doesn't give them manna on a seventh day. And they actually have enough. So like the manna doesn't turn, like there aren't maggots. It doesn't turn moldy or whatever. It doesn't uh, go bad the seventh day. God gives them enough for this day, this Hmm. day of rest, the seventh day. But now what's interesting is that we don't really hear about Sabbath till Exodus 20 when it's given as a law on Mount Sinai. So here four chapters earlier, why do we suddenly see the Sabbath? Like I thought that was introduced um, at chapter 20 where God says, hey, here's this day. Right. So what do we, what do, how do we make sense of the fact that this is not yet a law and yet the people of Israel are, are living this day seven, right? Is this the moment it was introduced? Um, would they have had like an oral tradition of, of hearing about, um, you know, seven day creation and like the day God rested, like, but really this is Exodus 16 is like the first time we read about a, a day of rest mm. for the people of God. Mm. Um, and uh, and so that threw me off a little bit because I was like, well, I thought it was introduced at chapter 20, like at Mount Sinai, right, right. like with the Ten Commandments. So I guess there's a couple ways of looking at it. And and the first one is just more of a question is, is you have to really g- grapple with when the Exodus was written. And, and so I had a friend who encouraged me to see it kind of like a director and, uh, and a movie, uh, if we understand the Exodus correctly. So for those who have a much later who hold to a much later date of writing of the Exodus, mm-hmm. um, some even like closer to the captivity of the people of Israel in Babylon. That's a much later uh, date, date for the writing of, of, um, of this story. Yeah. Um, the idea is there is actually, this is the people of Israel. They've, they're already practicing Sabbath in Babylon. Um, and the story then, as they look back on the story of, uh, of, you know, the giving of the manna in the wilderness, that the story will contain things that they're familiar with today um, that the, maybe the characters in the storyline weren't familiar with yet. Hmm. Um, so it's kind of like Old Testament writers were making a movie set in the past for theater audiences that needed to learn faith lessons in the present. So, right, so this is hundreds of years later. The people are in exile in Babylon. They're looking back. They see God's provision for the people and all of a sudden they're they're practicing Sabbath, but Sabbath wasn't introduced yet. It was a reality that they were in. So anyway, it does stretch how we understand scripture. Right. Um, another example of this is Exodus chapter 15 uh, that Janet preached on last week. In verse 17, it talks about the sanctuary God's hands have established. Well, of course, they're not even in the land yet, M- much less Jerusalem being the center, much less, you know, Mount Zion having a sanctuary on it, hmm. right? Like, right, right. How did, like... How did the people know this? There's no, there's not even an Ark of the Covenant, a mercy seat, the tablets of the Ten Commandments. Like, why is Moses singing about a sanctuary? So, so this is a real challenge with how we read Scripture. And so, I'm, I'm mostly just asking the question: like, where do you, when do you date the writing of the Exodus? Like, how do you make sense of that? Um, I think maybe a, a more conservative understanding, or, or not conservative, but a, just um, a, a different way of looking at it. Um, and this is what. I was in a conversation with someone yesterday about this, is that God in Exodus 16 is giving a rhythm of Sabbath before he gives the law Hmm. in Exodus 20, right? right? So he gives the people a rhythm before the law. And so 
so this day seven, you rest on day seven, is it, there's, that God is saying, hey, I want you to learn a pattern of rest. It's not going to become thou shalt you know, observe this day fully uh, for another four chapters here. Right. But I'm going to give you a rhythm, and I'm going to teach it to you as you pick up the manna on the wilderness floor. Um, and so Douglas Stewart, um, he, he says this. I just want to read a quote. It says, um, the people rested on the seventh day. As yet, the, in, the entire set of formal methods of worship and religious instruction were not an issue. They were to come at Sinai. The first, most basic step had been teaching the Israelites to set aside the time for such things. How to do them would follow in the full presentation of the covenant beginning at Exodus 20. Hmm. So God's just giving them a rhythm before he gives them, gives them a law. Hmm. So those are two ways to try to make sense of, of why all of a sudden we see Sabbath before the Ten Commandments. Right, right. And maybe th- those are helpful. The first one is a real challenge with how we understand dates and when the things were written. The second one is a bit more conservative, just showing God gives a rhythm before a law. So if anyone had any questions about Sabbath and why it's like that, that hopefully helps. Uh, well, help me. Yeah. Help yeah. me understand that a bit. So yeah. it's like giving the spirit of the law first, and then the letter of the law comes a little later, where it's actually like spelled out, here's here's, uh, you know, here's exactly how this is supposed to look or something. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Interesting. Totally. Cool. Yeah, it's interesting. And these are like little, <laughs> these are kind of like little things that are, you know, a little bit interesting. They're not, they're not big points. Um, but another one for, for those of you who maybe find yourself like deep within you, a little bit skeptical about the whole thing. Um, another cool moment that ties in with, with the natural world uh, comes with the story of the quail. So if you read verse 13, we see that God gave the people quail. Um, at twilight, you will eat meat. Hmm. Uh, is which I love that phrase, by the way. Yeah. At twilight, you will eat meat. Just eating meat like at night. Mm-hmm. Love that. Sounds like heaven. Um, but quail is provided. And uh, it was cool. Like So I did some research on the quail. And quail often do come through the Sinai on their way north from the Sudan to Europe uh, as they migrate. And they generally come through the Sinai Peninsula around the months of March and April, which is like, this is when the story takes place. Quail looking for a place to land and rest have actually been known to sink small boats. Huh, really? Like, can you imagine like tons of quail just like, and you're like fishing? Like <laughs> yeah. it'd be the worst feeling in the world. It's a great story. Sinking. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And then in the, in the Sinai, they've, they've also been noted to cover the ground so densely that some land uh, on top of others, right? So it's just like mm. tons of quail. And I love it that it happens in March and April, which is when this story happened. And I... I think this is cool just partly because there's really no way of making sense of the manna. Right. Like people have tried to make sense. I read a couple things and, but most people are going, ah, it's a, it's really a stretch. Mm-hmm. Like to try to make sense of something that in the natural world, creating these like flakes right, <laughs> on the ground, right. that taste of honey, like it's really hard. Um, by the way, there, if someone looks it up, there are a couple attempts at it, but most people say they're, they're just not, they don't hold weight, but God sending quail, um, it does make sense with the natural world. So I love this beautiful balance. It's like manna is a total miracle. It's like, wow, this is like total miracle from God, mm-hmm. bread sent from heaven, as it were. But the, the connection to the quail kind of grounds the story in a real place at a real time. Um, and it fills me with confidence, right? These are real people in a real desert who eat real quail, which normally migrate through that area in this time of year. And uh, that that kind of anchors me in the historicity 
uh, of the text. So yeah, anyway, that's just cool. I thought I'd throw it out there for the skeptic. That's really interesting. Yeah. Have you ever uh, you ever tasted quail? No, I haven't either. Which is t- too bad because my dad used to hunt quail. Oh, did in he? Oklahoma? Okay, what's yeah. the difference between quail and grouse? Are they the same same thing or no? Listen, if you took a quail, <laughs> a pheasant, yeah. and a grouse, yeah. who'd win? Oh wait, no, we're not. It's not. <laughs> I. I... <laughs> Oh, they're fighting yeah, now. Yeah, they're... I was gonna say, I if they if they had like mug shots, like if they went to prison, <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't be able to tell uh, who was who. Okay, yeah, okay. I, I wouldn't be able to pick out the quail versus I, the pheasant or the. I've tasted grouse, and it's I think it, I remember it was quite tasty. I think a little bit like chicken. Did it? Did it <laughs> taste grouse? <laughs> it was on Grouse Mountain. Nope, wasn't. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. No, interesting. I haven't either. But that's good to know though about the the pheasant, the grouse, and the quail. And the mug, that's right. and the mug shots, yeah. <laughs> okay, that's good. Cool. No, that that's really that's actually quite uh, that's pretty cool to to hear those uh, those details. That's interesting. Yeah, and again, they're not big things. They're just like little tiny things that make me go, "Oh, cool. This is this. I feel like this is a true story of what really happened." Yeah. Um, okay, I just a couple other things here, and they're they're a little bit bigger, but I just wanted to talk about a messy church hmm. or the messy people of God. So kind of moving out of the area of detailed stuff in the text. This is just, you know, I think to start, I would say it just feels disheartening to see the people grumble immediately, right? Like you just saw God part the waters. You just were in uh, Egypt and God delivered you from slavery. And and yet now you're grumbling. But I, I guess I see myself there a lot. Mm. Um, and John Golden Gay He's an Old Testament um, theologian. He he talks about connecting it with the New Testament church. Like, if you look at if you read the Book of Acts and you're like, oh, post post resurrection of Jesus, we we read the story of the Book of Acts. And while there's lots of cool stuff, lots of cool miracles, um, you you actually find and for sure inspiring stuff. You find okay, okay. Now, why are people who love Jesus being put in prison? and being beaten. Hmm. And why is the church in Jerusalem poor? Like, couldn't God, you know, provide for them? Like, shouldn't they be really experiencing a flourishing? Um, Why are people lying about their gifts and their donations? Right. Hmm. Um, And immediately killed on the spot. Hmm. Right. Why are people getting into bitter arguments over theology, right? Circumcision and, and food, you know, food, sacrifice to idols and all kinds of like these theological arguments. Yeah, yeah. You know, Peter and Paul have this bitter division, right? Or, you know, you just, you just see one group being neglected in the distribution of food, right? So we have to like, you know, widows are being neglected and, and you just, you, you, you it's like very real, yes, right? Like yeah. if you were to, it's it just, and it's a very messy church. And I guess I'd love to hear your thoughts, but I just want to say my, my experience has been that that, that's been encouraging and not encouraging at the same time. Like I'm encouraged because the reality is, is like, yeah, Jesus calls a whole bunch of sinners to follow him. And and there's this messy reality to church. Mm. And when people are new to Christianity, I'm often like, Oh, I hope you don't meet the legalistic person in our church. (laughs) You know, I I hope you don't run across the grumbler Mm -hmm. at our church. Mm -hmm. Like, because you want this person who just maybe gave their life to the Lord at Alpha or something like you want them to experience all these joy filled, generous people, which, which our church is filled with. Right. Totally. Like, but you want them to avoid the kind of, you know, whatever. But then I realize 
that's me. Like, <laughs> that's right, yeah. I'm part of the mess, uh-huh, right? Like yeah. my my own life, my own brokenness. And, and there's this messy thing that happens in the desert, in the wilderness, right? Mm. Between between resurrection and the new heavens, new earth, we're in this messy middle. Mm. And, and I guess, I guess I just wanted to say it's disheartening. And yet you just see God's grace Mm. all over the people and God hears their grumbling and he's like, okay, I'll give you bread from heaven. Absolutely. I'm delighted to do it because I'm your father. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, it feels like enabling, right? Mm-hmm. You're like enabling your children right. <laughs> to grumble, yeah, yeah. Um, which he's not. But but I, 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 anyway, so I just wanted to kind of chat for a little bit about the messy church. What, what do you think? Oh, yeah, totally. You're right, exactly. That's the, <laughs> I often think that too, where it's like, it's easy to become a different kind of legalist, right? Like, like I remember Philip Yancey wrote that saying, like, you know, he's talking about, you know, Pharisees and legalists and stuff. And he's like, but then he's like, but I don't want to become a different kind of Pharisee who looks down on mm-hmm. Pharisees all the time, you know? And, and I'm like, right, right, right. So it's, but it, you're right. It just seems like, I think, and I like the way you put that where it's, um, there's, there's something heartening and disheartening about it at the same time, because I look at, you look at who God chose to use in scripture, uh, in scripture on its own, you know, and you're like, man, okay. So you use like, you know, people like, yeah. Paul, who was formerly Saul and was persecuting Christians and overseeing them actually be killed. And like, and God decides to use him, you know, which is so crazy. And David and all of his, like, you know, so many issues with David and, and like, just, there's just so many characters like that, Peter, you know, and, um, and so it does, it, it brings you hope, right? Cause you're like, okay, so for whatever reason, God just loves to use broken people to accomplish what he's trying to accomplish. And even people like Corey, you know, that's kind of where I'm like, oh man, like, Lord, thank you for, thank you for taking the risk. Like, and what a risk, right? That's the thing too, is that it does sometimes you look, you, it can, it's easy, especially in our information overloaded age where you can, you can turn on the TV and see all sorts of crazy things done in the name of Jesus, right? And you're like, oh my goodness, God, like you, you've taken such a risk with us, you know, like your reputation, you know, and, and yet you're right. There's this beautiful, like, I remember reading, you know, Henri now and there, and this is very, very different, but him, him and, and his, his choice at the end of his life to, although he didn't know it was the end of his life because he, he passed away suddenly, but, but when he went and worked at, uh, at L'Arche there with, um, with the severely handicapped people, right, and, and no one could understand what he was doing, and, and even I think he had a lot of moments where he's like, what, are, you know, what am I doing? Like, this is obviously, it's, it's messy work, and it's, and it's probably not terribly rewarding often, and just in the trenches, like, you know, working with people that couldn't even necessarily thank him, and, and yet, like, in the midst of it all, there's this beautiful, like, beautiful, beautiful um, kind of reward that comes out of it as he starts to see, like, just the, uh, all of these kind of gems in the midst of, of what doesn't look like gems to us in the world, right? Like it's this messy thing. Maybe it's a bad analogy because it's not like there's any intentional, you know, whatever. We're talking more about grumbling people and stuff, but it just seems like, yeah, God just seems to love to use the things that we would never imagine him using to bring about his purposes, you know, and he likes to turn things on its head. And anyways, yeah, no, I, it's true. Messy church. That's a, that's a good term. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting because I've been reading Flannery O'Connor recently her short stories and and I honestly like it I'm just blown away like I, by her short stories and I read one uh just last week that that I think I had read before but I totally forgot how powerful it was and it's called Revelation hmm. and it's a story of this like legalistic lady um her name's Mrs. Turpin and um the whole thing happens in a <laughs> in a waiting room in the doctor's office hmm. and so she comes in and it's the south right it's like early 1960s this is like 
this is like at the time when like, you know, Martin Luther King is marching or whatever. But anyway, so you just, she writes about just these, this tension in the room, right? Where there's like um, people that she calls, this is her term for it, white trash, right? Or in the room. Right, right. But she, you know, but she is a godly, um, a godly Southern um, woman who has loved the Lord and has done all things right, right? Mm-hmm. Her name's Mrs. Turpin. And it's just a story of Mrs. Turpin um, just showing her true true colors, like in the waiting room. Like she just comes across as incredibly judgmental. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a there's a young black guy that, that delivers a package to the doctor's office, right? And so like he comes in through the waiting room and they you know, just the comments that they make when he leaves and, and, and it just shows the racist heart that she has. Mm. And, um, and yet she just sees herself as such a good person, right? Like she, Mm. she looks at the, around at the other white people that are a bit poorer than her and she analyzes their shoes, right? She looks at their shoes and looks at the kind of lives they live. And, and there's this one character just, just, um, uh, by the way, I'm totally ruining this story for anyone if they <laughs> ever wanted to read it. But no, I don't know if, how many people are picking up a Flannery O'Connor book, you know, these days. But anyway, she 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 basically writes about this woman who's there in the waiting room, and her name's Mary Grace, right? Hmm. Which is interesting the 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 grace that will be unleashed upon Mrs. Turpin, right? Hmm. But Mary Grace um, flies across the room and chokes the lady, <laughs> chokes Mrs. Turpin. She, she, she's had enough. Like right. this, Mary Grace has had enough of her racist, you know, better than you, white privilege thing. Anyway, and uh, flies across the room, chokes her. And uh, that night, Mrs. Turpin is just angry, right? And it's interesting because she goes back home and she's feeding her pigs. <laughs> And it, it kind of reminds you of the prodigal son story, right? right, she, right. There she is. She's with the pigs and she's feeding these pigs. And she just in her mind, she's like, why me? Why me? Why me? Why did she choke me? Like of all the people in that room, you know, look at all the, the trashy people in the room. She, she picked me hmm. and she's like lamenting. It's like this prayer. She's like, God, you, I've done everything right. Like I've done all, you know, I've, I've been perfect and you know, whatever. And I've <laughs> always been good to, to people. Why did she choke me? And then she sees this revelation, this vision um, in the night sky, and it's this 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 train of people, and uh, and at the front of the line um, are all the people she's judged. Hmm. Right, they're the first ones getting into heaven, and they're kind of walking up this purple road into the heavens. Hmm. And she's having this vision. I mean, she's awake, right? She right. sees this in the night sky, and she looks at the end of the line, uh, and she sees herself. Hmm. She's in the, but she's still in the line, right? Right, she's, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she still, she still gets, you know, to get to heaven, right? But she's at the back, hmm. and and she sees all her church friends hmm. in the back of the line, and and all of the white trash people or the black community in the south, and and whom she calls the freaks, quote unquote, are all at the front, right? And she's in the back, and Flannery O'Connor writes this really powerful line. It says, even, even her vanity needed to be purified on her way into God's presence, right? Hmm. And, uh, and it's like, you just can't bring your vanity with you. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. Sorry, that took a while to explain, but I That's was good. so moved by that. And I thought about the messy church and I'm like, you know, God loves Mrs. Turpin too, mm-hmm. but she's got a lot that needs to get burned away. Totally, and, and I think I do too. Yes, <laughs> you know? yeah, um, me too. Yeah, no, that's yeah. so good. Yeah, it it reminds me of um of C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce, right, where there's there's that it's the whole thing of of people that are moving into heaven, going into heaven, and you have like the 
you know, you have the grumblers who are like, you know, they're there and they're kind of looking, they're like, you know, it's like the, they're kind of walking up to, to, I guess, to whatever the, the gates of heaven or something. They're looking in and they're, it's like the grass looks kind of like so green. It looks kind of almost sharp. Like, I bet you that would be really uncomfortable to walk with your, you know, with, with your bare feet. And, mm. and it's so bright. Like, why is it so bright there? And, and like, oh, is that person, like those people are, are they all there? Like those people, are, I don't know if, you know, and these, anyways, they're like, they're just kind of grumbling to themselves. And, they, and it talks about how they just kind of wander off into the, the shadow lands. You know, they don't, they choose not to bother. They, they're like, no, no, I'm not really interested in going into that place. And same kind of idea, right? There's these grumblers who are, they've got it, they, they've, they've figured it all out. So no thanks. Thanks, but no thanks, you know, and yeah, totally. yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's great. Yeah. So I, I just, uh, w- would love to encourage uh, all of us that he loves all of us. And he's got, he's got a, even in the mess, um, even if you found yourself grumbling, um, you know, he just, he, he takes us where we're at and he starts to burn stuff away. Hmm. And that's the process of discipleship, you know? And I love um, that. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, so I'd love to end with just some encouragement. Sure. Um, Yeah. Like I, I was just really encouraged by, um, the letter to the church at Pergamum in in the book of Revelation. Some of you are wondering maybe if I was going to use this little phrase because we see uh, we see Jesus refer to manna uh, mm. in in his his letter to the church at Pergamum. Um, and so, just a little bit of background. But uh, at the end, the book of Revelation, we read about uh, seven letters to seven churches, mm. and these seven churches are going through different things. Um, each has their own. Uh, kind of, yeah, thing that they've got to deal with. And and to the church at Pergamum, they've been doing really well. Like, they've been doing really well, but but Jesus does have a rebuke for the church. He he says that there are some in the church who are enticing others to sin, um, to worship idols, and to practice sexual immorality. And the church is doing a good job, but, like, there are those who are there, right? And so Jesus is saying, watch out for those people. Mm. They're seducing you. Um, into something quote unquote better or quote unquote more pleasing. Um, and and there, it's just kind of this picture of a church that crumbles, not from the outside in, but from the inside out, right? It crumbles from the inside out, that mm. there's this seduction that takes place. We want something a little bit better. We're likely to grumble, to complain. Okay, maybe, you know, maybe there's something more pleasing or better out there. And, uh, and so... And so Jesus wants to protect the church from that crumbling from the inside out. And he gives a promise. And here's the promise. I'll, I'll just read it. Revelation 2. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. Hmm. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. But there's a promise to, to those who are victorious. Like they don't listen to the seduction, right? Uh, in the church, there's this beautiful gift of manna, hidden manna. And that word hidden manna is cool because um, there was a jar of manna that was hidden in the Ark of the Covenant mm. um, for years. And God said, you know, take a jar of this and remember uh, uh, remember what God did for you in the wilderness. And But that jar then later in, in uh, the Torah, we read that it was hidden in the Ark of the Covenant so that maybe from time to time it could be shown to the people. Um, mm. And... But in the New Testament, we see this new manna uh, is revealed in Jesus. Right. The yeah, hidden yeah. manna is revealed in <clears throat> Jesus, and it's his own body and it's his own life. Right. Mm. John 6, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go, hung- go hungry. 
So uh, there's this beautiful picture of the gift of life, the gift of, of Jesus who will satisfy our souls. And, and just that picture of all those seductions will lead us back to Egypt, like leads us back to slavery and death. Mm-hmm. But the promise in Revelation is you'll receive the new manna, right? Jesus' own body, and he'll satisfy you. And so it was just a beautiful little uh, end to the Bible, really. It's the last book in the Bible, and it was just this promise of Jesus mm. um, to those who to those who are overcome and are victorious. And beautiful. I thought I, yeah. I could end with that. I like yeah. that. Hey, remind me real quickly— wh- Sorry, you. I think you mentioned this in your sermon. Manna. What's the definition, or what does it mean again? Manna. Like, there's a. Yeah, uh, the the Hebrew man yeah. is is just what. It's the word what. Yeah. And so it's just like what is it? Huh. Right. What. Uh, I love so that. Yeah. What on earth is that? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's almost like, and it's interesting to think of. I mean, again, you get you can get all philosophical, but like about Jesus being the new manna. There's so much, you know, so many people were like, who is this? And what is this? And how, what? You're, you know, this makes no sense. What do you mean? You're from, no, no, you're from Nazareth. Like how on earth, you know? So I love that. I love that. It almost, it brings this new, again, layer of mystery to who Jesus is. And I love that. That's really cool. Oh, uh, that's such a great point, Corey. Like, yeah, like we look at Jesus and we're like, really? Yeah. You know? Yeah. He doesn't have a house. He's a wandering teacher. He's from Nazareth. Oh, I love that. That's Hmm. a great point. That's cool. Awesome. Um, Great. Man, I think Thanks we, for the chat, man. I think we had a home run today. This was like, this is our best yet. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening, and uh, yeah, we hope that you. Uh, you enjoy the week. It's another, it looks like a, well, I don't know. Is it a good week weather-wise? I don't know. It's it maybe no, not. it kind of looks rainy. Okay, so forget it. <laughs> forget that last part. But I hope you have a great, we hope you have a great week. Uh, North Langley, we love you. <laughs> yeah, we love you. Uh, yeah, take care. God bless you. Uh, we will. We will chat soon. See ya.